The How Is This Movie podcast is supported by listeners just like you. Go to patreon.com slash howisthismovie. There you can pledge as little as a dollar a month and help us maintain the goal of keeping this show fully independent and free of advertising. You will also gain instant access to bonus episodes not available anywhere else. Once again, that's patreon.com slash howisthismovie. And now, for our featured presentation. All right, Jim, welcome back to How Is This Movie? I appreciate it as always. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I want to do a little Oscar preview. Haven't done one of these before, okay. and I thought you would be the perfect person to talk to and discuss the nominees this year. I, I want to do this as a sort of who you think will win and who should win, that type of scenario. Excuse me, we're not going to go through all 24 categories. I want to look at the big five, well, in this case, the big six. So I want to look at best mm-hmm. director, best picture, best actor, best actress, best screenplay, and, and in particular with you, the uh, best cinematography. So mm-hmm. uh, let's start with... I mean, which uh, the floor is yours. Which category do you want to start with? Well, I'm I'm fine starting with whatever. Let me just preface this by saying that I am notoriously the worst Oscar predictor on the planet. I and I, and I will be even worse this year because I tend to be worse at predicting them when I have actually seen all the movies. The the, the, the year I predicted the most the, the most accurately what would win was actually the year I hadn't seen as many of the films because I think I let my I, I think I just can't avoid letting my own personal taste uh, influence me somehow, even when I know I'm just supposed to be uh, predicting, I'm usually terrible, but I'll, I'll, but I'll try, I'll try my best. I actually think this is, I think this is a year where it's going to be a little bit harder to predict than normal. I do think, which is kind of fun. I think it's, it's a good year in that I don't know that there's a strong front runner to sweep, you know, the year of something like, uh, you know, Titanic or something like that. So, uh, but we can start uh, wherever you want. Okay. Let's start with, We'll we'll do the the best actor and best actress, and I want just to be completely honest about these films. You know, if you're not a fan of a particular film, just just be feel free to let us know. Uh, let's see. For uh, lead actor, we have Denzel Washington in Roman J. Ezreal Esquire. We have Gary Oldman in Darkest Hour. Daniel, I never pronounce his name correctly. I think it's Kaluuya. Kaluuya for Get Out. Dan- Daniel yeah. Day Lewis for Phantom Thread, and then Timothy Shamlot. Am I pronouncing that correct? I'm, I'm, I don't I think. Think I it's Chalamet. Chalamet. Um, Timothy. Sh- Okay, Timothy Chalamet, I which I will... I will I, again, we both are clearly ignorant when it comes to any names <laughs> <Yes>. beyond the most <laughs> yes. straightforward... Tom Hanks. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, where's Tom Hanks when you need him? Uh, uh, when you get nominated? In Call Me By Your Name. Now, have you... You've right. seen... You've, okay, so of the of these films, Roman, yeah. J.S. Carr, Darkest Hour, Get Out, Phantom Thread, Call Me By Your Name, have you seen all of these films? I have seen all five, yes. Okay, and let's ask you, who would you like to win and who do you think is going to win? Uh, you know, I think... It's Gary Oldman. I think he. I think it's going to be Gary Oldman's uh, to win for and 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 I'm which I'm okay with. I, I thought he was great in that movie, and he's been great in so many movies for so many years. And I don't think he's ever won an Oscar, so it's kind of. I think it's kind of his year, so he probably will win. Um, you know, I think it's a fairly strong category. I don't really understand the the uh, enthusiasm behind Timothy Chalamet's performance in Call Me by Your Name, which I also don't understand the enthusiasm for the movie in general. I thought it was very. Uh, very overrated. I mean, I think to call that movie, you know, I'm, I'm okay with a deliberately paced movie, but there's this, you know, you can be so deliberately paced that it's the movie is just stopped. That's not the same thing as uh, slow pace. And I don't find Call Me By Your Name to be a particularly, it's slow without being particularly reflective or contemplative. I think it's just kind of, it's very Emperor's New Clothes. I and mean, I just think it's a very like, uh, nothing's really going on in that movie. And, and I think it has a lot of parallels in some ways with um, the movie The One Best Picture last year. Barry Jenkins' Moonlight, which I thought was a fantastic movie. And I think Moonlight, I just think the this one is, uh, it doesn't have any of the, the sort of, uh, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't earn the emotional moments it's going for the way that Moonlight did. I didn't buy the chemistry between the two guys for two seconds. And anyway, uh, it's, that's all other tangent to go off on. But he would be my, he would be my least favorite for sure. Um, I thought he was fine, but unremarkable in that. You know, the other four are all pretty strong. But if I had to, if I had to pick who I wanted to win, I have to say I was a, just, partly just because I love the movie so much and I feel like it didn't get a lot of attention. You know, I really thought Denzel Washington was incredible in Roman J. Israel Esquire, and I thought it was a great movie that deserved a much bigger audience and deserved to be bigger, much more talked about than it was. I thought that was that was also on my top ten list uh, this year. And so if I if I was filling out an Oscar ballot, I would probably vote for Denzel Washington. Okay, so just so I'm and I'm writing down these responses. So you know, after the Oscars, we're going to compare notes for <laughs> where. Okay, so I wrote you down as Gary Oldman will win. 
and Denzel yes. Washington should win. Yes, you that agree would with be that? My choice. Okay, excellent. Yes. All right, uh, on to the category of Best Actress. We have Sally Hawkins in The Shape of the Water, Frances McDormand in Three Billboards, Margot Robbie in I, Tanya, Sasha Ronan, Saoirse Ronan, excuse me, in Lady Bird, and Meryl Streep in The Post. First question is, who do you think is going to win, and who should win? I've got to assume, I mean, there could be an upset. I'm guessing Frances McDormand is going to win, although I could see... I could actually see almost anybody in the category except for Meryl Streep winning. And I think Meryl Streep is probably, you know, and the only reason I say that about Meryl Streep is just because she's, you know, won so many times before and been nominated so many times before. And I think there's, it, I think people are going to figure it's the year for one of those other ones. But I would, I'd probably predict Frances McDormand in terms of who I would like to see. I mean, uh, you know, if I'm being honest, I, I, it's a very boring choice, but I thought Meryl Streep in the post was one of the best performances of the year. I thought it was one of the best movies of the year. I think, um, you know, I think she's easy to take for granted, but I thought that was one of her best performances in a while. I thought she was really incredible in the post. And so if I was filling out the ballot, it would be for Meryl Streep, but they're all, they're all very good. I mean, there's not a bad performance in the bunch. Um, and Margot Robbie and I, Tanya, I think is, you know, I, I mean, she carries that movie on her back. I, I actually didn't think the movie itself was anything that fantastic, but I thought she, uh, I thought she rose above what was kind of a facile script, in my opinion. But so, so, so I'd be okay with her winning. But I, I, I have to go with Meryl Streep as my preferred choice, and McDormand is my prediction. Gotcha. Okay, so we write down Frances McDormand, and for the younger listeners out there, Meryl Streep. This is her three hundred and forty seventh Academy Award <laughs> exactly. nomination. So right. Let's see. Will and should. All right. Let's go with Best Director. Okay. We have got uh, Christopher Nolan for Dunkirk. We have Jordan Peele for Get Out. We have Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird. Paul Thomas Anderson for Phantom Thread. And Guillermo del Toro for The Shape of the Water. Or excuse me, for The Shape yeah. of Water. Yeah. Uh, a very strong category. But for me, Nolan is, I mean, that's why, not who I would put it. I would like it to be Nolan. I feel like for a number of reasons. I mean, first of all, uh, the, he's, you know, he's never gotten a directing Oscar. I think he's one of the, I, I would, I would have to say, I think the three best directors that are generally around my age, he's a little bit older than me, but I mean, the, the three, three best directors of my generation, I would have to say, you know, Christopher Nolan, Paul Thomas Anderson and Quentin Tarantino. Uh, and of course, two of those three are nominated. But I think Nolan, you know, just he has carved out this career that is unlike anyone else's. I mean, where he is essentially, you know, conducting these avant-garde European art film experiments in the form of enormous big budget studio crowd pleasers. I mean, you know, Inception was sort of like a studio remake of Alan Renee's last year at Marion Bad or something done as a sci-fi movie. And Dunkirk is this just insane experiment in you know if movies are if one of the things that's interesting about them is the way they can you know stretch and contract time i mean dunkirk is just fascinating the way he tells you know the three simultaneous stories that are in three different durations and makes it all work i mean it's just a, an amazing and the filmmaking talk about like great use of practical yeah effects and old-fashioned work i mean it's it, it really is probably I think Nolan is kind of exhibit A in your argument that that is still much more convincing than digital because he doesn't he really relies as, as little on digital as he can. And um, anyway, and I, I thought it was just I thought that was an incredible movie that gets better every time. And I have to admit the on first viewing, I liked it a lot, but I wasn't I was a little underwhelmed. It didn't it didn't really connect with me emotionally. And then. It's one that sort of like you're feeling about Alien Covenant. After I saw it, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And then I went and saw it again and again. I've seen it four times now. And uh, it's by far my favorite film of the year. And, and I think the best directed movie of the year. So for me, he should get it. Um, but he won't, right? For, he will not. <laughs> he will I think, not. I think he's. I think he and Paul Thomas Anderson are the two, <laughs> even though I just said they're the two best directors of their generation, I think they're the two who will not get it. I think it's between the other three. And I really don't know. It's kind of a toss up. Because I could see, you know, there's a lot. A lot of people really love Lady Bird, and I could. And obviously, there's a, you know, uh, it would be, you know, there's a lot of groundswell to support female directors. Um, you know, for me personally, I wish that groundswell was behind Catherine Bigelow in Detroit, which I think is a much better directed movie than Lady Bird. But so be it. You know, I think Get Out 
which I loved and I think is, you know, in a way I would love it if Get Out won Best Director. I would love to see a horror movie, uh, you know, a Bloomhouse horror movie get an Oscar yeah. would be incredible. Um, you know, and I don't know. I, it's really tough to call between Peel and Gerwig and Del Toro. I think I will predict I'll go with Del Toro just because Shape of Water got so many nominations. It's clearly a movie Academy loves. Um, he's very beloved in the industry. He's a great guy, aside from being a good filmmaker. So I'm going to predict Shape of Water, but I will not be surprised if it's Lady Bird. Okay, so you're okay. I've written down Nolan should. Yeah. Okay, you're but you're going to predict Shape of Water or yes. or Lady Bird. Is that basically what yeah. we're saying? Okay. Yeah. I mean, if I have to, if I, I'm going to, you know, I'll commit to Shape of Water, but I won't be surprised if it's Lady Bird. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Let's go. Um, let's go down to. I'm going to stick with, uh, there's adapted screenplay and then there's original screenplay. And I mm-hmm. think we're just going to go for this, for this, for the sake of time, we're just going to go original screenplay. So we've got The Big Sick, Get Out, Lady Bird, The Shape of Water, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. My guess is that it's going to, what will win will probably be Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri because it's the most dialogue driven. And I think people think that that's what screenwriting is. And I mean, that's obviously big part of it um but i think movies that have snappy dialogue tend to be the ones that get screenwriting oscars and i think three billboards does have very you know very colorful dialogue so i think it probably will get it although again i could see gerwig or peel taking it here too i mean because people really love those movies um for me i would love i the one i want to win is get out i i thought jordan peel's script for get out was absolutely brilliant i thought he took I thought it was a great combination of kind of, you know, taking a form that had sort of existed before taking, you know, the Stepford wives kind of thing, you know, taking like a certain kind of horror movie and basically crossing Stepford wives with guess who's coming to dinner and then coming up with something totally new, totally original, totally of the moment. Um, I just thought it was brilliant. And I think it's a movie that has a lot of details that are very simple and clear, but very effective that, you know, you know, like just, just down to, you know, the whole movie being about, legacy of you know black oppression and that that you know that you know he puts the cotton in his ears you know like things like that like just little there's so many it's such a smart movie um and i and i really love this i would love to see him win i don't think he will i think it's going to be ebbing missouri but he could Gerwin could uh really i mean any of them could i guess except i i doubt the big sick will but uh uh, yeah, for me, it's it's probably of all the categories, it's the one where my preferred choice is the clearest, and that's Get Out. But but I think Martin McDonough is going to win it. Uh, speaking of McDonough, were you surprised that he didn't get the Best Director nomination? Um, a little bit, you know. I mean, it, it, uh, in a way, I was in a way I like that. I like that this year there's a little bit. Of, it's mixed up a little bit because sometimes it can be very boring, where it's basically the same. It's like the voters check their best picture box and then they just go down and vote for the same stuff for everything. So I kind of like the fact that it was a little bit mixed, mixed. And certainly I like I like that Paul Thomas Anderson went for, up for Fam Thread, which I think is a very beautifully directed movie, even if it's not necessarily my favorite film he's ever done. But um, so, yeah, but I was still I was definitely a little bit surprised that McDonald didn't, didn't go up for it. I've got you written down for three billboards will win and get out would be your preferred. Yes, you should win. Now, the next category is one that you've got a personal vested interest in, and that is cinematography. And for those who aren't aware, all five of the nominated cinematographers on this list, you've had the pleasure of interviewing, correct? Yes, I, I do these. I host these events at the American Society of Cinematographers where I um, they call them coffee and conversation, where basically people come to the ASC clubhouse. And I sit down with cinematographers, moderate discussions where we look at clips, talk about the movies. And this year I did them with uh, just by coincidence or maybe not. Maybe I am the the Oscar whisperer for cinematographers. (laughs) Uh, All five of the nominees did sit down with me and we did we did coffee conversations on each of these five movies. So now this this since you 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 actually have a you've, you've personally talked to each one of these ones. This might be a little more difficult for you to make a prediction. So I'll I'll ask you who would you like to win, not necessarily who do you think would win. Who, who okay? So I'll ask you well, who would you like to win, not necessarily who you think is going to win. Well, it's very very tough for me between Roger Deakins for Blade Runner two thousand forty nine and Hoyt Van Hoytema for Dunkirk because I do think both of those. I mean I, I mean I like all five of the movies and all five of the cinematographers, but those two in particular have such a level of 
ambition and are so original in terms of their cinematography. Probably I got to give the edge to Roger Deakins for Blade Runner because I do think that one, that is just a sort of, you know, clinic in masterful cinematography. It's got such a variety of looks in the same movie. Um, again, you're dealing with that sequel issue where he's, he's like, I, I mean, like talk about big shoes to fill. You're going to be the cinematographer on a Blade Runner sequel. Um, and he really rose the challenge. I thought he did something to capture the spirit of the original, but was his own and was new. Uh, and just sidebar, he has never won an Oscar and he's one of the great, greatest living cinematographers uh, there is. So I would like to see Roger Deakins win it for Blade Runner 2049. Are we, I mean, surprised that he has not won that award yet? I mean, this you is... know, it's, I, I am and yet not any more so than that, you know, Kubrick never got a directing Oscar or De Palma or whoever. I mean, it's, it's, you know, there's uh, plenty of people who are great. who have never gotten them. And he just, you know, he's just, whatever reason uh, he has, yeah, he's never won. It is a little surprising though. I mean, cause he's, uh, you know, quite again, I mean, you look at the, the Coen brothers movies and he's just done a lot of great stuff. So, and, and maybe this will be his year. I, I suspect, Prediction-wise, it's either going to be him or Rachel Morrison for Mudbound, which is also a fantastic movie. Um, but she's very well liked in the cinematography community. She's um, that's Mudbound is a you know a great movie, great cinematography. I would per- certainly, I, I certainly wouldn't be unhappy if she won it. Um, and but I don't know, it'll be between her and Deakins. I don't know. He may lose out again. It may be, it may once more be not his year because I think there's going to be a lot of you know again desire to honor a, a, a female cinematographer because it's a story. I mean, she's the first woman to ever be nominated for best cinematography, which tells you something about how ridiculously sexist the uh, field of cinematography is. But um, but I, I, yeah, so it, I think it'll be a toss. I think it's it's hers or Deakins, but I don't know which. Now correct me if I'm wrong, but. Academy members, they bait, uh, based on what they're actual, what they actually do, be it cinematographers, editors, screenwriters, costume designers, they're, they vote on the selected category in question. Like a cinematographer is voted on by their peers, yet everyone gets to vote for best picture. Is that kind of how it works? The way I understand it is that it works the way you're describing for the nominations. For the nominations, okay. For, yeah. And then for the actual awards, everybody votes on everything. Um, so for the nominations, it's only cinematographers picking cinematography, only directors picking director, whatever. But then for the actual nominations, I mean, for the actual awards, you know, there you've got actor, actors can vote for editors and editors can vote for composers. Everybody's voting for everything. So, um, that's, that is my understanding of how it works. What does it take to become a member of the Academy? (laughs) Your guess is as good as mine. I know people who are, I know people who are in it who, you know, I mean, much like getting a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, it is completely mystifying to me why some people have it and some people don't. I mean, you know, there's the actor. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I it, it's I actually I, I was going to say something that I'm not sure is accurate. So I'll I'll hold back on it. But yeah, uh, yeah I don't I, you know, I think you have to, I you have to be somehow nominated by some committee and then voted on. And I, I, I really don't know because there are people who get in there who have been in like two movies and then there are people who have been working for 50 years who aren't in it. So it's, it's totally, I have no idea. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So let's talk about best picture, but the, before I go over the nine nominations, let me ask you this. Why nine nominations? Why since say 2008, are we going from five pictures to 10 to nine. I mean, there, yeah. is there, is, there's got to be dollar signs behind this, correct? I mean, this, well, is, this it, is a marketing thing, correct? It was it, the reason they, st- the reason they shifted from five to this fluctuating thing, which I don't care for. I, I would, I liked it before when it was five, but the, the reason they initially did that actually speaking of Christopher Nolan was because the year dark Knight came out, everybody thought it was going to get a best picture nomination. And it didn't. And I think the Academy's thought was if we expanded the number of nominations, something like basically they, they wanted to try to make more room for something like dark Knight because the Academy awards get higher ratings in years when people have actually seen the movies that are nominated. And I think their thought was if they opened it up, there'd be more of a chance that stuff like dark Knight that were like big crowd pleasers would be nominated. And thus the ratings for the show would go up because more people would watch, you know, cause like, you know, having something like call me by your name and nominated for best picture, you know, or even phantom thread doesn't really get you a lot of viewers outside of New York and LA. Um, so 
that was the thinking behind it. And I, but I don't know if it's really worked. I mean, even looking at the, the list this year, there's what is it? There's nine movies, and you know, I guess I mean Dunkirk was a big hit, and Get Out was a big hit. But like, you know, it's not like it's a list of you know, Logan isn't on the list. I guess it went up for screenplay, but like, you know, movies like that are not getting nominated for best picture. So, so I don't know if it really worked, but I, I kind of liked it better when there was a set number. I, and, and I liked it when it was five. I liked it when it was the same as everything else, but you know, I probably wouldn't be saying that if I was one of the nine, if I made one of the nine movies, went up for best picture, I'd probably be pretty happy that they had expanded the, uh, the number. Okay. So I want to talk about the nominees for 2008. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Slumdog Millionaire. Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Frost Nixon, Milk, and The Reader. Does The Dark Knight belong on that list? It's better than any of the movies that were nominated, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, what, were, what were they again? Slumdog, I, I, Slumdog Millionaire, okay. The yeah. Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Frost Nixon, Milk, and The Reader. And I've seen all I of mean, these ones. Yeah. I, I mean, and I like all those movies fine, but that's, um, yeah. I mean, to my opinion, Dark Knight is by far a better movie than all five of them. So so there you go. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I was just... You mentioned, yeah, because 2008, there was, there was one, two, three, four, five, five nominees. And then the following year, that was the year. The next year was when we had Avatar and The Hurt Locker and all, I mean, all kinds of movies were nominated that year. So mm-hmm. interesting. Okay. So let's talk about this year's nominees for Best Picture. And I'll have you talk. I mean, you've talked a little bit about some of these films. I'm going to have you talk just briefly about all the films. I'm going to go through the list and then we'll just go one by one. Okay. So we've got Call Me By Your Name, Darkest Hour. Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, The Shape of the Water, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. So let's just go back to, you know what, we've already talked about Call Me By Your Name. You've Mm -hmm. shared your thoughts on that one. Darkest (laughs) Hour. Uh, You know, very solid historical film. I mean, not something I was bonkers over, but I liked it. You know, great performance by Gary Oldman. So, I mean, you know, it it was a movie I liked that I don't know will necessarily... uh, I'll probably never see it again. So probably not one of I mean, not one of not one of my favorites among the nominees, but not but but certainly a perfectly respectable movie. I think we know how you feel about Dunkirk. You, yeah, you've listed that as your favorite film of the year. Um, Get Out again. I saw that movie. And that was one of the few movies I saw in the theater on a Friday night. I never go to the movies on a Friday night. But and the crowd was loud and laughing and having a good time. And I. Mm-hmm. I bought into the whole experience. I had a great time. Yeah, I think that movie is an argument that, you know, as much as movies change and all that kind of stuff, I think it's an argument that that that, that people still, the basic movies, that ways that movies work on people are still valid. I mean, I, and, you know, however much, because Get Out is a very, in a way, like a very classically told, told story. It's a very, um, you know, the pleasures of Get Out are pleasures that would have been there if he made that movie you know, in the seventies, if you would have made it in the eighties, you know, it's not, it's, it's only a modern movie in the specifics of the social commentary, but in every other way, it's a very kind of, um, in a good way, you know, traditionally told movie that I think offers traditional pleasures to an audience that sees it in a communal setting. So I, I think, um, you know, I don't, and the fact that it did so well, I think gives me hope that stuff like justice league, you know, I don't want to keep, beaten up on justice league but uh you know stuff like that that i feel like is just kind of short attention span nonsense uh you know i still think this there's obviously room for the other get out wouldn't be as big as it was well and that's the thing a a blumhouse production it's pretty much mandated it's a 4.5 million dollar film i mean that's that's what Mm -hmm. they make those movies for you make the decision to release a film like that theatrical what's your marketing campaign 25 30 million yeah. So at best, for, it's a $40 million film if it's theatrically released. The fact that this right. film did so well, I'm with you. I'm hoping this will open the door to more original stories coming out. Because I, I jokingly told a friend that I'm not going to go to the movie theater this year unless it's a film that's an original story. I will not see a sequel. I will not see a remake. I will not see anything that's based on pre-existing uh intellectual property so i'm not mm-hmm. going to go to the movies this year until De- <laughs> until december and, yeah. but but the, but the, but honestly what that leaves the door that leaves open for me is horror films mm-hmm. and so and and i just really wish the studios i mean in the 90s we saw the influx of the big hollywood studios starting their independent labels mm-hmm. their, their independent brands right. how long before 
the Warner Brothers, the Universal, the 20th Century Fox, the Disney start these small Blumhouse type production studios, do you think? Or they or do they already exist? I don't know if they're going to do it because honestly, I'm surprised they haven't already. But I think that I really think there's just I think at this point, you know, like a place like Disney, you know, I mean, they to them, the Blumhouse model is they're just not interested in it. Like they're not interested in spending $40 million on a movie that makes $150 million. They are only interested in spending two or $300 million on a movie that makes a billion dollars. I mean, that is the business they're in. And, and they, it, it's like, you know, I, I think to them, I just, I don't know. I think if they were going to do it, they would have done it already. I would like to see a new wave of that, of like what happened in the nineties when you had for a brief time, you had Paramount Vantage and Warner Independence and all those kind of things. And you're getting some really interesting movies. I would love to see that happen, but I, I feel like the Blum Blumhouse model, I mean, this was an exceptionally successful year for it between Get Out and Split and some of their other movies. So maybe people will take notice. But I uh, I don't know. I kind of feel like if, if other studios were going to follow that, they would have done it by now. But maybe not. Does Blumhouse, and I use this term referring just to the model and not to the people that run the show, but is Blumhouse going to be the new Miramax? Do you think they expand you know, I, beyond horror? I think so. I mean, they have, I believe at Sundance this year... I could be wrong on this, but because I just read it just like this morning and I was sort of skimming the article. But I think at some Sundance this year, they had um, a documentary that won a big prize. So I think they are going to start. I, hopefully he'll, he'll they'll be smart enough. I think the key to their model is that that budget, you know, that keeping down to that price point, that four point five million or whatever it is. Um, you know, I think as long as they're careful and they don't do, you know, what Miramax did, you know, there was that point when Miramax Dimension started spending $80 million on movies like Imposter with, you know, Gary Sinise and stuff that barely got a release. And I think as long as Blumhouse doesn't get into that kind of thing, as long as they kind of stick to their model, um, I could, I think they are going to probably get broader in terms of the stuff that they make is my guess. Oh, I mean, that's especially now that Bloom went up for an Oscar. I mean, I think that's going to whet his appetite. Excellent. Well, and, then, and, and that's a good thing. I mean, that's, this is, Absolutely. This, this is what we want. Ladybird. We haven't really talked much about Ladybird. I'm going to say make one comment on the film. Um, I did see it, and what I really identified with the film was the fact that it was set in 2002, prior to the explosion of social media and cell phone <laughs> usage, and it was still and it was the it was an era that was beyond me because I graduated in the mid 90s. But it was still this coming-of-age high school story that was more relatable to, to me than I think some would be relatable to some millennials. Um, mm-hmm. So what did you think about Lady Bird? You know, I liked it. I wasn't as nuts over it as a lot of people. I, I thought there was another movie that came out. I don't know if it came, I think it came out last year called Edge of 17 that I thought was a far superior version of the same kind of movie. Uh, but I think what Edge of Seventeen didn't have that Lady Bird has is exactly what you're talking about, which is this kind of nostalgia aspect because of the setting. I think a lot of people who love Lady Bird are responding to this the exact same thing you are. And um, and I liked it. I thought it was slightly, for my taste, it, it was a little bit like a puppy dog that won't stop licking you. Like it, it I thought it was a little some a little too self-conscious in terms of some of the the humor for for my taste um much a similar problem that i had with i Tanya. Uh, but i liked it i mean i thought it was fine i thought it was it was fine it wasn't one of my favorite movies of the year it certainly you know i'm i'm a little bit of a probably reacting a little bit against how beloved it is like i i don't think Greta Gerwig you know i think she's a fine director but i i think it's kind of ridiculous for her to be up for oscars for directing and and things like that again as opposed to you know if you're going to talk about female directors, what Catherine Bigelow does in Detroit is, to me, so much more purposeful and cinematic. Whereas, you know, Lady Bird, I- I'm getting t- I'm getting a little tired of independent films where people aim the camera in the general direction of the actors and call it directing. Um, you know, there's a l- and there's a lot of those, but it's not. So, it's for me, it's it's overrated. But I also I did like it. You know, that's kind of. It's uh, I don't know. It's it's not it's not it's a movie I have no particularly strong reaction to one way or the other. I found it to be a, a pleasing experience that I'm a little surprised is quite as beloved as it is. Okay. Okay. Now that brings us to Phantom Thread. Now, throughout the history of your you joining me as a guest on the show, one of the 
Reoccurring themes has always been a discussion about Paul Thomas Anderson films. Uh, we did a lengthy discussion on on Boogie Nights, and we, we've talked at length uh, on some of his other films. Phantom Thread is the latest Paul Thomas Anderson film. It is also supposedly Daniel Day-Lewis's final performance. Um, so a couple questions. First, of course, what did you think of Phantom Thread? And is this really Daniel Day-Lewis's final film, or does he get lulled back out of retirement by, say, a Paul Thomas Anderson three years yeah. from now? I'm guessing he'll do something else. He's he's threatened this before. There was a period where you stopped acting for a couple of years and went to Italy and was like it's became a cobbler or something. And he'll probably <laughs> and he'll he'll probably do something like that. You know, he's he's. Um, I love it. I suspect he'll come back. I don't. I don't. I don't know that this is his last performance. Um, if it is his last performance, he, he it is going out on a high note. It's a great performance, um, and it's a great movie. Here's the thing. It, it, I will say it. Um, you know, for, I've seen it twice, and I'm going to see it again um, because thus far I haven't quite responded to it as strongly as I responded to other Paul Thomas Anderson movies. Now I have to say though that. I hold him to a ridiculous standard that no filmmaker can really live up to, which is anytime I see a movie of his, if it isn't immediately one of my favorite movies of all time, I'm mildly disappointed. Yeah. And that is of course an absolutely ridiculous standard to hold anybody to, but that's what happens when you make, you know, Boogie Nights and Magnolia, I guess. But I did like it a lot. I felt like there was a, both times I saw it, I felt like there's a leap you have to take with the movie that I won't spoil for people who haven't seen it, but there's a leap you have to take with it in the last half hour that, he just didn't quite pull me along on. I, I did. I bought it intellectually and in theory more than I bought it dramatically. And that was what kind of would keep it from keep me from saying it's on a par with his best movies, but his lesser movies are still better than most people's best movies. So it's still great. You know, I'd be thrilled if it won something, although I don't think it will. Were you surprised? Uh, were you surprised yeah. to see it nominated for best picture? I was a little bit because it's a somewhat, it's not as austere as the master was, but it's still kind of a little bit, it's a, it's an odd movie. I mean, it's essentially like a kind of riff on something like Re Rebecca crossed with an Antonioni movie or something. So like, I'm not sure who the audience is for it exactly. And I, and I was, I was a little bit surprised to see it, see it up there. I think it's the most, uh, not avant-garde, but it, it's, it's the most out there of all the best picture nominees for sure. Is it the most avant-garde of his films? No, no. And that's probably why in, in a way it's actually probably for my money, one of his most conventional. Oh, okay. Um, I think aside from, I mean, I, I think that's maybe where my, my conflicted feelings about it come from is that I think it's, I think it's his, his most conventional in a way. And yet it doesn't quite deliver <laughs> the conventional satisfactions of a conventional movie. So it's, I mean, maybe I feel about it a little bit the way you felt about Alien Covenant the first time where it's a little bit, you know, between two stools, but, um, but, you know, again, it's also the kind of movie that you could catch me. I could think about it some more and I could see it again and you could call me and I'd be saying it's one of my all time favorite movies. Like I, I won't be surprised if that's where it goes. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, next we have the post and I was surprised to learn how the, the production time on this film was like, practically three weeks i mean i'm saying mm -hmm. that kind of joking around but this was conceived filmed the whole thing was done inside of six months and uh, yeah does any of that show on the screen only in a good sense in the sense that i think it has a lightness to it that spielberg hasn't had in a while i think it has a real you know it feels like a movie from the 40s or something it feels like a preston sturgis or a frank capra movie or something like that in a really good way it's got an energy to it that i think probably grows somewhat out of what you're talking about i I didn't know that about it, but it doesn't surprise me to hear it. And, you know, Spielberg's another one of those guys like Ridley Scott or like Clint Eastwood who can who can do that. You know, I mean, it's like that that year when Clint Eastwood made uh, Changeling. And then while he was waiting for the digital effects to get done, he went off and made Gran Torino in like a few weeks. And it seems to me like Spielberg did something sort of similar here with The Post while, you know, because he I believe he shot Ready Player One before he shot this. So I guess while that was in post, he went off and just made a whole other movie. And, and I thought the post was fantastic. I mean, I thought it was really him just in his back in his most crowd. It's a great rousing crowd pleaser and beautifully directed, um, Im impeccably acted, very old fashioned in a great way. But again, much like Get Out, old fashioned and classical and yet sort of of the moment in terms of it's it's, you know, very clearly 
a kind of commentary on the media now and the relationship between the White House and the media now. And it, and it makes all of those points quite breezily and effortlessly. And um, I just thought it was a, a terrific movie. And I mean, it, it's of the nominees. It's right behind Dunkirk is one of my favorite films of the year. Okay. Now let's talk about a film that I think surprised a lot of people leading the pack with 13 nominations. And that's mm-hmm. the shape of water. Yeah. I was very surprised by that. I'm, and I liked it a lot. Um, you know, I, I liked the audacity of it. I liked that it's a combination of a Cold War thriller and a monster movie and a love story all in the same film. And, you know, obviously Del Toro is always great in terms of his attention to visual detail and all that. And I, and I Michael Shannon is terrific in it. Uh, everybody's terrific in it, really. But um, really good movie. But, yeah, I was kind of surprised. I'm was kind of surprised that it was embraced to that level. And it was the movie that got the most nominations. The fact that it did would probably make me predict that it will win. I usually, that's generally really? kind of the default thing is the movie that gets the most nominations usually wins best picture, but not always. But I would, if I was going to predict, I'd probably pick, say that's the one that's going to get it. In rounding out the list of the best picture nominees for 2017 is three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, the third film by writer director Martin McDonough. This is another film that I broke my never go to the movies on a weekend or a Friday night rule. <laughs> and but I just I didn't feel like I was going to have a uh, substantial amount of teenagers in the yeah. theater. And I was correct. It was a sold out showing, but I may have been the youngest person in the theater. <laughs> but I will say this. I will say this about three billboards. I liked the movie. I didn't leave the theater going, you know, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. I would still call in Bruges for me a more enjoyable Martin McDonough film just because I mm-hmm. love I love the two main characters in, in Bruges. I mm-hmm. will say point of interest about three billboards is uh, I saw the red band trailer for this film yeah prior to seeing the movie mm-hmm. so I knew what I was getting myself into mm-hmm. I counted more than 20 people that left the theater when I hmm. was when I was in this screening now I live I live in a very uh, I say this very politely the part of Florida I live in is uh, filled with large swaths of retirees, and mm-hmm. it's a you know it's a it, it's kind of an older demographic, and it's a very uh-huh. red state demographic that I'm mm-hmm. in as well. And I don't know if that played into it, but I don't think the people were prepared for the language that was coming out of everybody's mouth mm-hmm. in, in that film. Now I I'm not saying that's a knock against the movie. I'm just mentioning that that. I think a lot of people are going to be that that don't know what they're going to see are going to be shocked by this film. Mm-hmm. And I I to me the Sam Rockwell character to me is the most interesting character in the film. He I mm-hmm. think he has an arc where Francis McDormand does not. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, I'm sorry. I'm just going off in, in a different tangents about the film, but what are your thoughts on it? No, I mean I pretty much had all the same responses to it that you did. I mean aside from that I didn't have any uh, walkouts in the theater, but, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I liked, I mean, for me, I will say the, uh, you know, the, the movie, it lost a little bit of steam once Woody Harrelson left it. Um, yes. You know, I, 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 th- I thought the first half of it was just fantastic. And then it kind of, I mean, not, you know, like it just, once he went, was out of the movie, I felt like um, it meandered a little bit more and I became, I was a little less, riveted by it and i would agree with you that in bruges is, is a superior movie but um but i liked it a lot and i see why people are responding to it and i see why people are responding to the actors and, and and all that and um you know the whole thing about people responding to language is funny because you know i find that movies in their moment people get really offended by stuff like that but then you have these movies that go on to become totally beloved by everybody of every you know, political and religious background, or whatever, like a movie like The Godfather. Yeah. <laughs> and you watch The Godfather and it's like the most, you know, I mean, that movie is crammed with profanity, violence, sexual, you know, it's like James Conn banging the girl in the yeah. stairwell, you know, all this stuff. You know, it's so strange to me how sometimes these that, you know, or even Silence of the Lambs. I mean, Silence of the Lambs is now like kind of in the canon of like beloved American movies. It's a movie where a guy jerks off and tosses his cum in Jodie Foster's hair, for God's sake. So I think whatever people are offended by in the moment by three billboards will probably fall by the wayside uh, as the years pass. Well, just to, just to tell you a real quick story, 
and that this is something that's very actually very common. Like I don't I don't I don't have the luxury of living out in Los Angeles as much as I would love to be out there. You know, I, I happen to live in just this smaller town of fifty thousand in Florida, and same movie theater, two thousand and twelve. I went to go see Ted on opening day. You know, the Seth MacFarlane mm-hmm. film Ted. I mean, who right? Who doesn't know what they're getting themselves into mm-hmm. when they're going to see mm-hmm. that? And the theater was just crammed with again retirees. Older people who thought they were seeing a movie about a boy and his magical teddy bear. Right. <laughs> and I saw, I literally watched half the theater walk out within the five, first five minutes of the film. So this is a, not an uncommon practice where I'm from, mm-hmm. unfortunately. So of those movies, which one would you like to win and which one is going to win? I'd like Dunkirk to win. And I think, uh, I'm guessing Shape of Water is going to win. This is my Shape of Water. Okay. All right. So I got you down for Dunkirk. Okay. Now, I want to ask you a question, and if this is not something you want to talk about, we don't have to talk about it. Was James Franco going to get nominated for The Disaster Artist before everything came out? I, you know, I don't know, because I think, I mean, I actually was surprised that he wasn't, although he went up for, it went up for screenplay, I think. But, you know, the way these, the voting falls, I don't know how many people voted before or after that stuff started coming out. So I, the honest answer is I have no idea. Um, He going strictly on merits he should have been nominated it was in my opinion the best performance of the year but uh yeah i don't know okay i I don't know if that played into it or not and it's a whole other question of whether it should play into it or not i don't it's very thorny and very complicated and uh i don't know and it's definitely not a issue that i want to tackle you know on on this (laughs) show you and me you and me both yeah i just i I like (laughs) to keep i like to keep the conversation always very lighthearted and um uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna name a couple just just around end end the show. I'm gonna name a couple best picture winners over the past forty years, and I want to tell me uh-huh. whether you think they deserve to win best picture. And I'll start in 1975. Okay. This is the year that Jaws came out, which still continues to be. Uh, I don't like to use the the term my favorite film. I like to use the film that I'm continuously entertained by every time I see it, and I've seen it more film more than any other film. But, of course, that was also the year that uh, we got One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. And are you agreeing that that was the best picture of 1975? Oh, gosh, 1975. Uh, did Nashville come out in 1975? Because I think that's better than Jaws or One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, but, so that's, um, that's interesting. Okay, hold on just a uh, second. I'm gonna, the nominees for best picture of 1975 were One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, Barry Lyndon, Dog Day Afternoon, Jaws, and oh. Nashville. Uh, well, Barry Lyndon was the best movie of 1975, without question, in my opinion. Interesting. I mean, that's that's like that's like just not even. <laughs> I you know yeah that was, Barry Lyndon was the best movie of 1975. I'd forgotten that came out that year. Okay, but, so we're, uh, we're not going to go year by year. I'm just going to jump around. So uh-huh. I'm going to go uh, 1979. Let me just get the best picture here. I can already tell you that Apocalypse Now should have won. I don't care what else was up. All right, <laughs> it was so, probably what what won in '79. Uh, the winner of that was Kramer versus, Kramer versus Kramer. Kramer. Okay, and which, is we, a great, which is a great movie, but I think Apocalypse Now and all that jazz. I think Time has probably proven to be the the two uh, the the best of that year. We also have Breaking Away and Norma Ray. Yeah, uh, all good movies, but were, Apoc- <laughs> were Apocalypse Now and all that jazz nominated for Best Picture? Uh, yep, year? yep, they they were okay. both nominated. Yeah, those, those, are, those, I would have to say, would be the two best. All right, we're going to jump up to 1985. Okay, so the nominees for, for 1985 were Witness, Prizzy's Honor, Kiss of the Spider Woman, The Color Purple, and the winner that year was Out of Africa. Hmm. Uh, well, I love Out of Africa, and probably of those nominees, I would say that was my favorite. But I would say the two, maybe three best movies in 1985 would be Scorsese's After Hours, Kurosawa's Ron, and... I think To Live and Die in L.A. came out in 1985. Um, so those are probably, so my three favorites, none of them were even nominated. But probably of the ones that were nominated, I would say Out of Africa was the best one. Okay. okay. All right. So what is, okay, 1988, we have Working Girl, Mississippi Burning, Dangerous Liaisons, The Accidental Tourist, and the winner that year, Rain Man. Uh, well, of those nominees, probably I really think Accidental Tourist is an incredible movie. Yeah. Uh, just revisited it not that long ago, and it's uh, I would say that's, my favorite of those nominees, you know, I don't know what I would say the best. I know two movies that jumped to my head that I really love that year. Well, it was, okay, three, Bull Durham, Talk Radio, and a movie that I know you share my fondness for, though I doubt it would ever be the kind of movie that would go for, would win Best Picture, but uh, Die Hard. Of course. Would, you know, yeah. so. 
I was I was talking to a friend of mine actually this this morning, and he said, Dana, if you had to pick your three favorite films in the 1980s, what would they be? And I said, Well, that's that's not a fair question, but I can promise you, Die Hard would be of of would be among the three. Mm-hmm. So uh, in yeah. ni- 1999, the nominated films for Best Picture were The Sixth Sense, The Insider, The Green Mile, The Cider House Rules, and the winner that year was American Beauty. <laughs> Yeah, and that's a fascinating list because 1999 is, in my opinion, the best year in the history of American movies. Um, I will hold it up again as 1939 or, you know, 1946 or whatever you want to pick. Um, that is the best year for American movies, and virtually none of the best movies uh, were listed among the nominees. Uh, you know, I, I think Magnolia was, uh, you know, uh, probably my favorite. I mean, look, you got Magnolia. You've got Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut. You've got Oliver Stone's Any Given Sunday. You've got uh, Scorsese to bring out the dead that year. End of the Affair by Neil Jordan is an incredible movie uh, from that year. Um, God, what are some of the other? Three Kings, Fight Club. Um, God, I, you know, there, there, there's, I think that was a year when I felt like every few weeks you could go to the movie and be blown away. And it was a year when it was like every kind of movie was great. It was like you had the great, you know, the big auteurs like Kubrick and Scorsese, you know, were making great movies. You had great teen comedies like American Pie. You had an, an, an election. You had Soderbergh made the limey that year. You had like, you know, the sort of you had great thrillers like Arlington Road. You had yeah. David Lynch made the straight story that year. I mean, it was like everything. I just just everything was at a certain level. So uh do I think American Beauty was the best movie of that year? No, <laughs> I think it's a good movie, but not even close. I though, even, right? Yeah. I don't think it's even close. And I think most of those ones, it's it's hilarious to me that like the Green Mile and Cider House Rules were nominated uh, opposite some of the stuff that that came out that year. Now, the last time I had you on the show, we were talking about Alien Covenant, and uh, I had asked you if you could talk about your where people can find you on social media. But there was one thing I forgot to ask you, and you, you've had my curiosity peaked uh, over the past couple months because you've been doing some some commentaries on some some classic films for, for Blu-ray releases. And I wonder if you could talk just a little bit about the, the films that you've done commentary tracks for and if any of those films are available and where people could find them. Yeah, the three that are available right now are, um, I mean, the most famous one is Inherit the Wind, the Stanley Kramer movie with uh, Spencer Tracy and Frederick March and Gene Kelly. Uh, Inherit the Wind, The Woman in Red, the Gene Wilder comedy, and then a movie called Valdez is Coming, which is a Western with Burt Lancaster written by, uh, well, based on a uh, novel by Elmore Leonard. And uh, those three I've done, they're all, and they're all available on, you know, Amazon, or you can find them sometimes in like a Barnes and Noble if you live near one or whatever. Um, And then I've got a bunch kind of in the hopper coming up that that aren't out yet, but will be. I started doing a bunch of commentaries for these reissues of a lot of the movies from the Disney library from the 80s and 90s. So a lot of these touchstone movies I've done that are, that are kind of fun. They're movies that aren't necessarily, uh, certainly not considered classics, but I kind of had fun researching the making of them and doing these commentary tracks. Like I did one for The Marrying Man with Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger, and I did one for John Badham's Another Stakeout and ah. for a Tom Selleck movie called An Innocent Man um, that I like a lot. And then I did one for this movie, The Soldier, uh, this James Glickenhouse movie from the early 80s, a great action film. Um, and I'm going to be doing a bunch more. And then next, I'm actually just for getting ready to record in the next few weeks. I'm doing New York stories and uh, a few other ones. So, um, but I'll sort of keep my website updated with info on those. And then, uh, but yeah, yeah. The Valdez is coming woman in red and inherit the wind. You can find on Amazon now because I'm, I'm forever curious about the, the process of it, it just it, in very layman's terms, you go into a screening room, uh, with a microphone set up, uh, do you watch this set? You, do, do they just play the film nonstop, or do you get to? Can you pause it and pause any time? I mean, just how does a ba- on a rudimentary yeah. level, how does it work? Basically, you just walk into where you go into a recruit recording studio where they've got a big TV and they play it on there. And generally, uh, they don't like you to stop. <laughs> they kind of want you to just go straight through. Um, so, which is a little bit difficult. I mean, they'll. They'll sometimes basically what I'll do is if I stumble over something or I make a mistake, I will just say cut that and I'll just start over and then they just they just cut it out. But we kind of keep the movie uh, running is, is basically how it works. 
is it was the first time a little nerve wracking or I mean, is it a little? Oh, yeah. Well, the first time the first one I did was Valdez is coming and I actually ended up having to record it twice because I spent weeks researching it and reading everything I could on Burt Lancaster and Omar Leonard and the original director, Sidney Pollack, and the guy who ended up directing it, Edwin Sharon, and did all this stuff, got into the studio, started talking, got an hour to the movie and was completely out of things to say. So I had to go back and do more prep and then go back and, and do it again. Um, and it was, I, I feel like I'm sort of getting the hang, hang of it, but it's, uh, it's a lot of work. I mean, it's essentially not that different from what you do on your podcast, but I uh, was not prepared for how much work goes into having to talk about one movie for an hour and a half or, or in the case of Inherit the Wind, two hours and eight minutes. Yeah. Now, yeah. Um, I, mean, I can't, uh, it's a lot of work. I can't imagine because in most cases I, I'll speak for 35 minutes on a film mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and if that, mm-hmm. that, could, that could be a two and a half hour long film and after 35 minutes, that's it. I've, I've told a little story and that's, yeah. I, yeah, I couldn't imagine. Now, my, now would you, would you say it would be easier if you had somebody else in the booth with you and you know, you can bounce like when a multiple commentary, you did a commentary track for Trouble with the Truth with, with Leah Thompson. Right. Yeah, and I'm actually going to be doing that. Um, I, so I'll be I'll be able to tell you in a few months because I'm doing in March. I'm recording a commentary track for Summer of Sam that I'm doing with um, a film, another a film critic I know, uh, Matt Sapola, and then I'm going to be doing one on Ridley Scott's White Squall uh, with Kelly Goodner. So those I'll be doing with two other people, and we'll sort of. I'll, I my suspicion it will be is it will be considerably easier because a they'll do some of the the research and all that kind of stuff. And then I think just having someone else in there to bounce off of, I have a feeling is going to make it a lot easier. Awesome. Awesome. Excellent. Well, Jim, thank you as always for being on how's this movie. And I, I going to have you back soon. I think we're, we've been kicking around the idea of doing the, uh, a couple more of the icon series, which have been incredibly popular on this show. And, um, so listen, thanks again. And, uh, we'll, we'll definitely be in touch. All right. Thank you. The How Is This Movie podcast is produced by Dana Buckler for Hidden Productions located in Ocala, Florida. Please follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at How Is This Movie. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash howisthismovie. Of course, you can always email the show with questions or comments at hitmpodcast at gmail.com. And finally, to become a monthly supporter of this podcast and gain instant access to bonus episodes not available anywhere else, go to patreon.com slash howisthismovie. You'll find all the links to our social media in this episode's show notes.